Getting used to the new seating arrangements. <laughs> Come with me please this morning to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of Romans. And just want to read one verse only, uh, which is the first, well, first two verses only. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cantria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister. The book of Romans has often been called the gospel according to Paul. It is a theological masterpiece written by Paul for the comfort and instructions of the church all over the world. For 2,000 years it has been the most important Christian document that we have. Within its 16 chapters, many of the great doctrines that uphold the Christian church are to be found. Like justification and sanctification and adoption and the mystery of the gospel and sin and judgment and faith and even the very place of Israel in the plan of God. And how believers ought to live within Christian community with their brothers and sisters. Not only that within the normal community that we all live in. And so the book of Romans is a fantastic book indeed. And throughout the centuries the book of Romans has had an amazing impact on individuals who in turn has had an incredible impact. Sometimes in a whole nation, sometimes in a whole continent. Augustine, just by reading Romans 13, 13, and he wasn't living a very good life at that time, but just by reading that, God spoke to him and brought him into faith. Luther, by simply reading Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by his faith. That changed not only his life, but it brought in the great reformation that changed all of Europe. John Wesley was just simply listening to someone reading the preface to the book of Romans by Luther. Just reading the preface, not even the text. And as the man was reading the preface, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And he got the assurance of his salvation. And so it has a wonderful, wonderful effect. John Bunyan reading Romans 3, 24 and 25, so impacted him that he got the peace of God just through reading that. And so for two millenniums, this book, Romans, has been the Magna Carta of the Christian church. Now the reason why I'm telling you this today is because it's Mother's Day. And I want to highlight this woman, Phoebe, that Paul mentions right at the beginning of chapter 16. Phoebe lived in Cancaria, which was a seaport just about seven miles from the great metropolis of Corinth. 
and she was about to embark upon a journey to Rome. Most scholars agree that it was Phoebe who took with her this letter, Paul's letter, to the Christians who lived in Rome. Now, he hadn't gone there yet. He had never been at that point. He planned to go, wanted desperately to go, but it hadn't worked out. But his plan was to go. And so there was rumors flying around about the Apostle Paul, slanderous rumors and lies. He talks about that in Romans 3 and 8. And so he wanted to put the record straight before he would go so that they would know how genuine he was and what he was teaching was the truth. So what started out as a simple letter of, of commendation, a recommendation in those days for itinerant preachers to go around churches, mostly they had a letter of recommendation from a previous church so that you just didn't get anybody coming into your pulpit. And so... He wrote this letter, or began to write it just as a recommendation, but it ended up a great volume, 16 chapters in all, of tremendous, incredible truths that we still read today and actually is one of the greatest Christian epistles in the New Testament. The critic Renan was credited as saying that when Phoebe sailed away from Corinth, and this is no exaggeration, that she carried it beneath the folds of her robe the whole future of Christian theology. We would be a lot poorer if that book wasn't in our Bible spiritually. We'd be a lot poorer. But this woman, to her eternal credit, took this great letter to those Christians in Rome. And so on this Mother's Day, I want to very briefly focus on her thoughts about this godly woman. Phoebe. Now we don't have a lot to go on. Those two verses is it. But what he does say about her is enough to encourage us and it's enough to inspire us and to enlighten us about what it means to be a godly woman. First of all, she was a godly woman. Now if she hadn't have been, you can be sure that the Apostle Paul would not have trusted her and entrusted her to take this great letter to the Christians in Rome. And so he had a lot of faith in this woman. He believed in her, and he believed that she was a godly woman. My eldest sister told me that one time she was at a convention in this country, many, many years ago, and it was like an Easter three-day convention, and it was a Pentecostal convention. And during one of the services, a woman got out in the middle of it and started to speak out in tongues to be bringing a message in tongues. And the convener, who was a mature senior man of God, stood up and said, don't anybody answer that. I know how that woman lives. <laughs> and he stopped her in her tracks because she wasn't living right. And he wasn't going to have her standing up in the middle of the church giving a so-called Message in tongues. The Apostle Paul knew how this woman lived. And she was a godly woman who was living right. And he entrusted her to take this letter on his behalf to the Christians in Rome. Ladies, the highest commendation you can have is to be recognized as a godly woman. Now in this age of superficiality, 
of shallowness, this plastic world that we live in, of the cult of the celebrity, that doesn't count for much. But it counts with Almighty God. And it counts with a family. And it counts actually in a community, whether they know that or not. And so each of you has a sphere of influence and you can use your influence in a godly way. Whether that's simply in your home, among your neighbors, or in your workplace, because many mothers work today, or whatever profession you have, even as a mother or as a woman, you can be godly and influence those around you with your godliness. It makes a massive difference. And people will watch you and see your deeds and hear your words. Now, you may not be a, a gregarious type of person. You may, not be, you may not be outwardly bold. You may be, in fact, a quiet, unassuming type of a person. You know, maybe you're just a behind-the-scenes type of person. You'd never in a million years stand up before a crowd and speak or sing or do anything. But that doesn't take away from your godliness. The Apostle Peter, writing in his first epistle, and the context of what he's writing here, as you'll see in a moment, is actually between a husband and wife and submission, which is a very thorny subject today. But he says something beautiful in this. I'm going to read this from the New Living Testament. 1 Peter 3, 1-5. to In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. And even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, I don't believe for one second that Peter is saying here that you shouldn't, you know, get a nice dress or that you shouldn't get a hairdo or that you shouldn't wear a piece of jewelry. I think what he's saying is don't make that your chief concern. Don't make your outward appearance the be all and end all. It's much more important to have an inner beauty. You can be beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. You may not be a great looker on the outside, but you can be beautiful on the inside. Whatever way you want to look at this, Peter is saying, don't make the outward beauty the be-all and end-all. Make sure you're beautiful on the inside. That will be the attractive thing in a godly way. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah bade her husband Abraham and called him her master. Your daughters, when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, listen men, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be, uh, that she may be, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. If we don't treat our wives as we should, 
our prayers, men, will be hindered. God will not answer our prayers. As clear as that. But that part in the middle, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of your fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, of course, there are those who believe that it's a sin to wear, wear makeup. I don't believe that, but there's those who do. I heard one preacher says, for some woman, it would be a sin if they didn't wear makeup. <laughs> Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Second thing he said about her was that she was a servant of the church. Phoebe served God in her local church. I commend you, I commend, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant in Kenkorea. The fact that he called her a sister shows you the genuineness of her faith. And he said that she was a sister and that she was a servant. Not just a sister in the Lord, but a servant in the church. And the word servant is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from. Which leads many to believe that Phoebe was a deaconess in the church where she lived, where she worshipped. So that would seem to indicate that she had some kind of official role within the church. Probably with the woman. Usually if somebody would be called a deaconess, they usually meant that they were at least middle-aged and oftentimes were widows. Mature woman of God. And that they would serve in the church in the role of looking after the woman. Maybe teaching the younger woman how to be good wives and good mothers. Maybe preparing them for baptism. Maybe visiting them when they're sick. Maybe helping them in different practical and spiritual ways. Being like a mother in Israel, as it were. And so this was the type of this godly woman that we're talking about today. Where would the church be today if it wasn't for the woman? Where would this church be today if it wasn't for you woman in it? If it was just all men, you woman would say the whole place would fall down. <laughs> and maybe a lot of it would. There's something about woman that adds a whole different dimension as every husband would testify. Isn't that right, man? Just one amen there. What a bunch of wimps. Eh? <laughs> the bulk of churches is made up of women. In our church here, it's about half and half. Just slightly more women than men, but it's roughly about half and half, which is nice. But actually, most churches, the bulk of it is women. 
It's the bulk of the prayer meeting are women coming to pray. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's an amazing large percentage of missionaries who are women. Woman has a great role to play in the church. Women were last at the cross and they were first at the tomb. It was the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and dried his feet with her hair. And so we need women in the church. They add such a dimension to worship, to practical things, to prayer, to intercession, all of these things. It's women oftentimes who are the drivers. Phoebe served in her local church. No better place to serve God than in your local church. That's where you're supposed to serve. That's where you're to begin to serve. Then God may take you further than that to the ends of the earth actually, but you begin to serve in the local church and you find something to do. Everybody is capable of doing something. Paul said she was a helper of many. The old King James uses the term succor for helper. A succor. Prostatus. One who stands by in the case of need. In case of need. One who stands by in case of need. One who stands beside. And one who stands up for. Actually, Herbert Lockyer, in his book, All the Women of the Bible, said that this comes from a, a classical Greek illustration. He said the athletes, the Greek athletes, had someone who stood beside them. Someone who prepared them for the big day, for the race or for the fight or whatever it may be. Someone who stood up for them. Someone who came alongside them. Someone who watched out for them. And that was the type of woman that Phoebe was. She'd come alongside people. She'd stand by in case. Or she'd stand up for. She was an encourager. She was a strengthener. She'd hold arms up and hands up. That's the type of woman that we're talking about here. It would appear that Phoebe was probably a woman of means or substance. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, undertaking a journey to Rome... This was a big journey. Not only that, it was a long and arduous and dangerous journey for a woman to take. So chances are that she did not take this journey alone. She probably had somebody with her, maybe a servant with her. Maybe even an employee. Somebody. This was a woman of substance. This was a mature woman of God. Maybe she was like the virtuous woman that's described in Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31 verse 20 it says, She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse 29. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. 
Are you an encourager? Are you a helper? Do you come alongside people? Do you lift up their hands in prayer? Do you lift up their hands in a practical way? Because that's what a godly woman does. And that may cost you time, may cost you effort, may be inconvenient sometimes, but that's what you do. These are the These are just some of the things that a godly woman would do. She'd be a servant. She'd be a helper of many. And Paul says, and of me also. Many of God's servants have been helped by a gracious godly woman. Jesus' ministry was supported financially. A lot was by women. He talked about them. He mentions at least four of them who ministered to him of their substance. They were an itinerant traveling band. There's at least a good bunch of them, wasn't there? Him and his 12 disciples. And they would go around. People would open up their homes for them. They had a bag with money in it of which they helped the poor. The treasure was Judas Iscariot. Where did they get that from? Well, it tells in the scriptures that a lot of that came from godly women. And again, often the church is supported by women. Often they're the greatest givers because of the compassion of their hearts. So Luke 8, verses 1 to 3, tells us about those women who supported Jesus' ministry. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Now it happened, verse 8, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shuman. There was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. A notable woman. A woman of substance. A woman of, certainly within her community, would be well known. A well-to-do woman. Perhaps businesswoman. So it was, as often as she pa- he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And so here is this notable godly woman who sees the prophet of God, recognizes this as a spiritual man, he's got ministry, he's coming past here regularly, said to her husband, run it past him first, what do you think? I think it would be great if we could make a little room on the side just for him. So anytime he's coming through, he can stop, he can be refreshed, he can go to sleep, he can chill out, he can pray, he can do whatever he needs to do. And he will have it right there, specially made for him. Isn't that wonderful? 
And I'm sure that was a great blessing to Elisha. I'm sure he really, truly appreciated that. In fact, if you read on the story, you'll see that he did appreciate it. But it was because of the heart of a godly woman. He just wanted to help. And there's many, many a godly woman who has been instrumental in helping men of God over the years. You know, we often read about Reinhard Bonnke and uh, the great success he had in Africa. You know, where hundreds of thousands of people over the years has come to Christ. And his great crusades where there's sometimes there's up to nearly a million people. But what we don't usually know about is the woman who prayed behind the scenes for that. The one in particular. Who while those crusades were going on, who weren't even at the crusades, they were there, but they weren't in the meeting. They were somewhere else praying fervently for God to move, and he did. Because they had that heart, and they wanted it to be a blessing. First Samuel 25, David is on the run from King Saul, who's threatened to kill him. And so David and his trusty band of about 400 uh, they're hiding in caves and dens and they're at an area called Carmel and there is a, a very rich man and a very profane, ungodly man called Nabal and he's got his sheep and his goats there and his shepherds and his herdsmen and David and his men keeps them, the bandits away from them, make sure that there's no sheep is being stolen, no shepherds are being killed and that went on for quite a while then it came to a feast time and he sent some of his men to Nabal and says listen we're going to make a feast here can you please give us some food we've looked after your shepherds we've looked after your sheep could you please give us some food and he was an ignoramus I mean he was just a brute of a man and he was just insulted them and insulted David and sent them away empty-handed and David was absolutely incandescent with rage. He was livid. And he says, Mount up, men, we'll go and we'll kill every one of them, him and all his sons. And if it hadn't been for Abigail, this brute of a man's godly wife who heard what he had done and she got some foods, some food and different stuff and she went out ahead and galloped ahead and met David on the journey and basically said to him, don't stain your hands with this man's blood. He's not worth it. Nabal means a fool. He's a fool by name and he's a fool by nature. Do not stain your hands with his blood. Don't do this. And David listened to her and he didn't do it. And God dealt with Nabal. But if it hadn't have been for that godly woman, Abigail, he was going and he was in the flesh and he was going to cut heads off. He was going to wipe them all out. But she calmed him down and she says, it's not worth it. God will deal with that. And God did. I was just reading the other night where in Judges 4 about Deborah and Barak. And Deborah prophesies to Barak and tells him, listen, Go and fight against the enemy. God is going to give you a great victory. And you know what he said? He says, I won't go unless you come. Unless you go with me, I'm not going to go. He recognized this was a godly woman. And he had enough sense to know, I want a godly woman on my side. And she went with him. By the way, she said, 
because you wouldn't go without me. We'll go and we'll get a great victory, but you'll not get any glory in this. And they had a wonderful victory. What a godly woman was Deborah, one of the judges in Israel. Paul says, and of me also. Don't know what way he helped. She helped Paul, doesn't say, but it was genuine, it was true. She must have helped him some way. Maybe just encouraging him. You know, maybe just, I, you know, sometimes preachers need encouraged. Did you know that? I know you think maybe we live in a wee bubble somewhere and, you know, we're seeing angels all week and, you know, we're escorted into heaven during the week and, you know, life's not like that. And sometimes, I'm not asking you to, to do this for me, but sometimes preachers need a wee bit of encouragement because you never know what they're going through because most of them not tell you. So maybe she came alongside the Paul and just encouraged him and said, by the way, Paul, I'm praying for you in that situation. I want you to know I'm praying for you. That's a great encouragement, isn't it? You know, over the years I've met people, some people that I hadn't seen for years and for years and for years. And they've said to me, I pray for you every day. I thought, you do? That's incredible. I didn't think it even remember me. I said, no, we remember you, and we're praying for you every day. Isn't that wonderful? That's an encouragement, isn't it? So maybe she encouraged him some way. Maybe she gave him something. Who knows? But he says she has been a helper to many and to me also. Her name, Phoebe, Phoebus, means radiant, shining one. Now she was a, a Gentile, a pagan Gentile before she met Christ. And many Gentiles in those days when they met Christ, they would change their name. Because more often than not, their parents would name them after some god or other. And she was no exception. She was named after the Greek god, the Greek moon god, Artemis. Which means shining one, radiant one. So she was named after that. Now we know that the moon is a natural reflector of the sun. If the sun had no, if the moon had no sunlight to reflect from it, we wouldn't even know it was there. It'd be invisible to us. We'd never see it with the naked eye. It has no light of its own. It just reflects the light of the sun. And here is this one called after Artemis because the common name for Artemis was Phoebe, radiant one, shining one. And Artemis was only supposed to be seen by the light of the moon. So here's this one called after the moon god. Now that she's saved, she doesn't change her name, but she knows now that she is going to be a reflector of Jesus, the light of the world. And she reflects Christ in her life. And she's quite happy to do that, to be a reflector of Christ. A godly woman is a reflector of of Christ. There's something Christ-like in a godly woman. So Phoebe truly was a radiant, godly Christian woman. She let her light shine. She was a brilliant example of a godly woman. So no wonder Paul urged those Roman believers, Roman believers, no wonder he said to him, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. 
and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. Receive her. I recommend her. I commend her to you. She is a godly, godly woman. What a recommendation. Amen. So I say to not only to you mothers today, but to all you women today, be a godly woman. Reflect Christ in your life. It's very, very attractive. And you will attract people to you that you can help by a word of encouragement, by a word of strength to them, by a word that will bless them and give them direction in their life. Just draw alongside, do what you can, and just by your godliness, you'll be a blessing. Amen? Let's pray.